Good morning. It's good to see everyone. So glad y'all are here. We're going to talk this morning about God's original plan, his intended purpose for men and women, how we relate to one another. And the reason I'm teaching that this morning is because I'm actually teaching this as a series on Wednesday nights. We're doing a four-week class, and we've already done the first two weeks. And so what I did was I pulled together... Is that better? Okay. I pulled together the last two weeks and and tried to condense it into one lesson for today. So I'm probably going to move pretty quickly through it because I really want to get the high points uh, for you this morning. But I've discovered through years, and you'd think this would be obvious, but I found out that there are no perfect relationships. Does anybody... (laughs) Would anyone in here say that you have a perfect relationship with someone? Nothing ever goes wrong. Okay, good. So we all need to learn something um, about what God has to say about how we relate to one another. So that's what we're going to talk about. Um, This morning, we're going to be talking about uh, God's original creation of the first man and the first woman. And I will be using man and woman because, or male and female, because that's what the Bible uses. Um, you know, sometimes we say chicks and dudes or uh, guys and gals, but for the most part, I'll be saying man and woman because that's what the text uses. And we want to stick this morning exactly with what Scripture says because that's our goal is to find out what God said when he made the first man and the first woman and how they were to relate to one another. As we talk about these things, I want to assure you that there is no judgment made on anyone. Nothing that I talk about is intended to make you feel bad or ashamed of anything in your past or anything you're going through now. Because we all, we all need more help in relating well with one another. So wherever you are in this whole scenario of relationships, God can help us do better and to have healthier, whole relationships, and to glorify him more in the way we relate to one another. So as we go through this, let's all be learning. Let's be learning what God has for us in Genesis chapter 1. Now, the really juicy stuff is going to start Wednesday night when we get into Genesis chapter 2, where God presents Eve to Adam. And there's this little phrase in there that she's a helper fit for him. In most translations, a helper fit for him or corresponding to him. And we are going to break down the Hebrew of that little phrase on Wednesday night and try to figure out what exactly that means. What was God doing with this woman that he gave to Adam? And what does that mean for us today? So if you really want the good stuff, come Wednesday night at 630 in room 243. Years ago when... My husband and I were, we just had become parents, our first baby. And at two weeks old, we had to move. And I didn't know anything about babies. I was the baby in my family. I had done minimal babysitting when I was very young and had just never spent any time around babies. So I really did not know anything. And and literally, when we drove away from the hospital with that little thing, I said, you mean they're... 
they're just sending us home? I mean, I don't, I don't know what to do. Is there a manual? Is there something? I really felt a little helpless. But we stumbled through the first couple weeks, and then we moved to Florida from here. And so we got in our car. The moving truck had left, and we got in our car, and we headed down to Florida. We took several days because with the newborn and so forth, we needed to sleep and all of that. So we were on the road, and we got to Mississippi, and we pulled into a Shoney's and uh, ate there. And then we came out to the parking lot because um, our baby needed his diaper changed. So I don't remember, Stanton, what you were doing, but I was in the car by myself. And I had put uh, a pillow on my lap and put the baby right there in front of me to change his diaper. And so I unsnapped his little onesie and uh, pulled his legs up and pulled the diaper out. And before I could put the new diaper on, projectile, baby poo, came out all, I mean, just sprayed all over the front of me and down my front. And it happened so fast. You know, I just was kind of shocked. Before I could just put his legs down, it just covered me, covered me. And so and I was just sitting there going, uh, and the door opens, the Driver door opens for Stanton to get in, and he starts to get in, and he looked over at me, and there was just this couple of seconds where his eyes were trying to take in what had happened. And at that moment, both of us had some choices. Things could have gone very badly at that point in our relationship. But he very wisely, as a young man, took a deep breath and said, what do you want me to do? <laughs> which was the perfect response. But haven't we all gotten in situations? Well, yeah. <laughs> you did good. But haven't we all gotten in situations where we said the wrong thing? Like, what are you doing? Or how did that happen? You know, or, or anything could have been said that would have been wrong. Um, and we, then we get into a mess. And this kind of tension and wrong things said and anger and um, wanting to hurt people happens all the time, every day, between us, just at whether it's at work or in our families. And this uh, picture in Genesis 1, obviously, is of a couple where God created the first man and woman who were to be a couple. But the principles that we see here apply to all gender relationships. I mean, whether, whether you're working with a coworker that's opposite your gender, or we're talking about your children that, you know, mother to son or dad to daughter, uh, these principles apply to all of us. So we want to look for the takeaway God has for us in this today. Let's look for a moment. I'm not sure where to point this. Do I go this way? Yeah, okay. Let's look at the need that we have. What is the need for this? Quickly, just a few interesting statistics that I pulled up to give us a snapshot of all the problems in our world relationally. I found a couple of interesting things. 2011, the average divorce daily in China is 5,000. Of course, China has like, what, 20 billion people living there? So, um, but 5,000 divorces a day. Can you imagine those, those broken relationships? 
Um, here in our country, that same year in Wisconsin, you can see nearly 60,000 got married, but that same year, 34,000 people divorced. And it just makes me think of all of those individuals who were sad and hurting and unhappy that this had happened. Um, so those are a couple of divorce things. Let's look at domestic violence. As you can see on the slide, nearly 20 people per minute in this country are physically abused by an intimate partner. We're not talking about strangers, intimate partners. So during a year, that means 10 million men and women are physically abused. One in five women, one in seven men have been victims of severe violence by an intimate partner. Webroot gives us these statistics, moving on to pornography and the internet. Over 28,000 users are watching porn. 35% of all downloads are porn related. 68% now of divorce cases involve a party meeting a new person on the internet. 56% involve one of the people in the couple having an obsessive interest in porn. And I want to add to the whole porn thing online, the online gambling and the online gaming is, is equally contributing. Um, I know of couples who one of them was addicted to online gambling and they went bankrupt, lost everything. Um, another man was sharing with us that his daughter had gotten married to a, a guy who she knew liked to game. I don't know what he played, World of Warcraft, League of Legends, Halo. I don't know what they all are, but... He liked to game, and she knew he did that, but she had no idea to the extent that he was addicted. When they got married, he would game into the night. Rather than spend time with her, he would just game online with all his friends. And it got to where he wouldn't work enough to make enough money because he wanted to game, and he was spending all of his time, all of his money on gaming. And she tried counseling, she tried to get help for them, and he would not uh, give up that addiction, and she divorced him. And they'd only been married several years. But it's create, the internet itself is creating problems in our relationships. So we can see that the world has no idea how to handle relationships. They're trying, they struggle, they, they try this and that, and they go through counseling and education and whatever, and uh, it's not working. We can see it all around the world. It's just not working. But what about in the church? We would hope that in the church, statistics are better. Well, let's see. We know that about 50%, and right now slightly less than 50% nationwide of marriages end in divorce. Unfortunately, the same is true in our churches. Um, and not just surfacey people, attenders, but those who describe themselves as committed or active in their faith are divorcing pretty much at the same rate, or, or not, not, as, not as much, sorry, not as much. I mean, you can see there the Catholics, 31% less likely, Protestants, 35%. And look at those Jews. Isn't that great? 97% less likely to divorce. So I don't know what they're doing right, uh, but they aren't divorcing like the rest of us are. In today's Christian magazine, Christian Women magazine, we're going, now moving to uh, abuse. One out of every four Christian couples experiences at least one episode of physical abuse. Barna did this study, and he surveyed men who identify as born again, so true 
Christ followers gave this information. 95% have viewed porn. 54% look at least once a month. 44% viewed at work in the last 90 days. 31% had an affair while married. 25% erased their browsing history to conceal their porn use. 18% admit being addicted. And then the really interesting thing is that 17% of Christian women admit being addicted. So the level of addiction between men and women is the same, pretty much the same. I found that a little bit startling, but good to know. So in the church, we have the same problems. We have divorce, we have abuse, we have addictions, whether it's porn or gambling or gaming, we have it. So what we know is that all of us need help, that this is not easy, that relating well with one another is not easy, and it requires an effort, and it requires wisdom, and it requires the intervention of the Holy Spirit to help us do this really, really well. So let's look at some differences. Um, Obviously, if you've had children in your home, boys and girls, you can see differences almost immediately, right? Uh, With our little boys, it seems they came out of the womb making sound effects. Uh, From the time before they could speak words, they were they were making truck noises and gun noises and uh, you know all those things I've never been able to do. Um, Whereas my daughter, she could be noisy too, but hers was talking and giggling. So very different, just right from the beginning. But let's look at this article that I came across by Gary Smalley. He was. a wonderful marriage, uh, I don't want to say counselor, but he would hold conferences and wrote a lot of books. Gary Smalley, you're all familiar with him, about marriage and communication. He was very good at that. And a couple of points I just want to make from Gary that these will probably resonate with you and you'll think, yeah, I've seen that, I get it. Uh, Women tend to be more personal than men. And by that, he's saying that women have a deeper interest in people and the way people feel. Uh, We like to build relationships, while men tend to be more occupied with practicalities that can be understood logically. And men like to be challenged, and they like to conquer things, and they compete for dominance. Um, And I will say, some of us ladies, we know we're kind of, we like to be challenged, we like to conquer things too, Um, but not necessarily for dominance. And that might be the difference there. Um, Secondly, Men tend to be less desirous and knowledgeable in building intimate relationships both with God and with other people. Women are usually the ones who buy marriage books. Women are usually the ones who develop an interest in knowing God first, and then they kind of pull the husbands along. Um, And he goes on to say that women become an intimate part of our environment and of the people that we know. We, we like to develop a, a oneness with others and with the place that we are, our home or our church or wherever we go that's important to us. We develop um, a real emotional connection and men don't do that. They somehow, you all, are somehow able to kind of be apart and independent from other people and, and your environment, which comes into this third point, Gary says, Women tend to find their identity in close relationships, while men, of course, are their identity through vocations. And he explains 
that that's why sometimes it's so hard for women to move. If a man gets a new job in a new town, well, that excites him and motivates him, and it's promoting him, and so he's okay with moving. While the woman who has connected to her environment and her people has a much harder time just disassociating from that and going away and leaving her connections. So it all makes sense when we think about it practically like this. Men tend to express their anger through physical violence, where women, we tend to be a little more verbally <coughs> aggressive. Not that you all have probably noticed that, but um, uh, some of us have a uh, terrible talent of shredding people with our words, and, and we have to bring that under the control of the Holy Spirit and learn to speak kindly and gently, even when we're unhappy or angry. And there are lots of interesting physical differences. I'll just give a few of these quickly, and then we'll move on into our text. Uh, I just thought these were interesting. Women, uh, women have greater constitutional vitality, meaning simply we live longer uh, overall than men do, about three or four years in the United States. Our metabolism is lower than men's. Women have larger kidneys, liver, stomach, and an appendix than men, but we have smaller lungs. Uh, women's hormones are different. Did you know that? We have different hormones, and we have more hormones than men do. Our thyroid is larger and more active, uh, which provides resistance to cold. Um, it associates us with smoother skin, uh, more, less hair, and we have that really wonderful layer of subcutaneous fat that we all adore. <laughs> Women's blood contains more water and 20% fewer red cells, which I found interesting because the red cells, of course, supply oxygen. And so we tire more easily, and women are more prone to fainting. So our constitutional vitality is really pretty much just long life. We aren't uh, stronger day by day, daily, than men are, but we live longer. Uh, on the average, men possess 50% more brute strength than women do. Your, your um, muscle mass is about 40% uh, of your body, and ours is only 23%. So that kind of tells us why, why you all are stronger. Um, our hearts beat more rapidly than yours. Um, we have a vital capacity or breathing power that is lower than men's because, of course, our lungs are smaller. And women can withstand high temperatures better than men because our metabolism slows down less. So just some interesting things. We don't know um, if those things are because of the fall in Genesis 3 when sin entered. We don't know how many of those differences and changes between us are due to sin coming in and how many of those things God actually built into us when he created us. There's no way to know that. But we can all agree and we can all say that men and women are different and that God designed us differently. So let's see what that difference is kind of in a general sense from Genesis 1. Why is Genesis 1 important? Because there's so many verses we could look at in Scripture that talk about what men do, what women do, whether it's in the church, in the family, out in the world, a lot of verses we could look at. But why Genesis? Well, two reasons I want to give you. Genesis is important because it's the first man and woman relationship that we see, but it's also the only perfect man-woman relationship that we can see to look at how did this work? What was the model that God gave us for men and women? Secondly, 
when we do read the New Testament, Jesus and Paul, both in their discussions about marriage or divorce, when they were asked questions, they both referred back to Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. So let's look quickly um, at some things that Jesus said. We see one example, Matthew 19, where the Pharisees came to him and asked him if it was lawful for a woman, uh, for a man to divorce his wife. And so Jesus responds there that God, from the beginning, made the male and female, and that's from Genesis 1. And then he goes on to the familiar verse so that a man will leave his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh from Genesis 2. So that was Jesus going back all the way to the beginning to define what it looks like. And then Paul, same thing. He used that Genesis 2 passage in 1 Corinthians and Ephesians 5, that the two are to be united together and to become one flesh. So we also want to go back to that same place. If it was good enough for Jesus and for Paul, then it's good enough for us to go back and see what they were referring to that's so important for us to understand. So let's look at the text. Genesis 1, image bearers. We are God's image bearers. And you're welcome to turn to Genesis 1 if you want to have that open to look at. The first 25 verses of Genesis go through the creation of the world. And you see the details of God doing this, God doing that, and kind of working it all the way through till he gets to the people. But he sets it all up with words. He spoke creation into being. And when we see the words in the text, they are, let there be, let there be light. Let this do that. Let, let the plants and the animals, let the earth, let the sky, let there be. He kind of works his way through saying these things as creation comes about. But we see a difference when he gets to creating the man and the woman. And we see that in verse 26 where God says, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Well, no one knows what God looks like, right? We don't know. And scripture tells us no one knows. No one has seen God. So what does it mean that we're made in his image and in his likeness? Well, we know from descriptions in the Bible of God, the Father, in John 4.24, that God is spirit. He is spirit. He is not tangible. He doesn't have a body. We can't grab on to God the Father. He's spirit. And Moses even said, when he was giving instructions to the people in Deuteronomy 4.16, he said that they were not to carve images of God. They were not to have any idols of God to worship in the form of any figure, the likeness of male or female, because God is spirit. He didn't want people trying to create images of him. He wants us to worship him for who he is, and he is spirit. Secondly, when we go further in to Paul's teaching, he confirms that God is invisible. And he says that in these two places, God is invisible. And yet, Genesis tells us very clearly that we were made in his image and in his likeness. So let's dig into that for just a couple minutes and see what that means. Well, physically, obviously, it means we're different 
from the animals. God designed our bodies very differently. After he had created all of that, he made two very different beings, different from the animals. We have unique features that God has 